If you turn to Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah 8 tonight, as we continue our journey here uh, with the weeping prophet, with the, the prophet whom uh, very often found himself in tears over the, the condition of the children of Israel and over the nation. In this PowerPoint background is actually a wall panel from the Assyrian capital of Nimrud. Um, this happens to now reside in the British National Museum, but it's from the 8th century B.C., and it is Tiglath-Pileser, who was one of the actual generals who fought against the Jewish people, who took the Jewish people and brought them into captivity under Assyria. And, and so we're looking tonight at that period of time uh, in arrears. We're, we're, we're taking a glance backward, if you will, and Isaiah is giving us a little history. And as he does so, he's reminding us of a central thought. And sometimes, because we're saved by grace and through faith, everybody's grateful for that, amen? Because it's not by works, none of us can boast, amen? It's a free gift, amen? One of the problems that the church has, because grace does come by uh, faith, and that faith is a gift from God. One of the problems the church has is that sometimes we still think that our choices don't matter. We, we think that we can kind of live our lives as we please, and there'll be no consequences, no effect. This chapter, along with a vast majority of the New Testament, provides a different scenario for us to, to encounter. Because what the Bible clearly says is your choices not only do matter, but your choices are really going to dictate whether you walk in blessing or whether you walk in chastisement or whether you walk in a place where God is dealing with you as a stubborn, obstinate child or as a child who's being obedient. For those of you that are parents, um, we generally have a tendency to, to deal with our children when they're obedient a little bit kinder, a little bit softer than when they're disobedient. Amen? Now imagine... Uh, that as, as your heavenly father is infinitely greater to understand the condition of your heart and why you make the decisions you make, uh, you can pretty well imagine that the Lord knows exactly what type of pressure to apply to us to get us to move to his way of thinking. And so we find that we need to watch our choices uh, here in chapter 8 of the book of Isaiah. So let's pray, and we'll pick up in verse 1. Father, thank you. For your word, we pray that you would powerfully impart it to our hearts and minds. Help us to understand and live by the principles contained within it. Would you bless us as your people? Uh, help us to make good choices, wise choices, to not follow after the world, but to follow after you. And so, God, as we read, uh, help us to retain in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Isaiah 8, Moreover, the Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen. Now, some people have debated what this actually means, but I think it's fairly simple. Uh, the larger the scroll, the more valuable it would be. If you were going to write something to be a note, very often that could be on what's called a piece of ostrica. It'd be a piece of pottery, and perhaps you would write with charcoal. It would be not very valuable. It would be very tiny. 
So in other words, it's a reference here to take a man's pen. Children, just like we do today, uh, we, we may give our kids crayons, amen, or, or something, uh, maybe even a smaller pen or a pencil, but a man's pen uh, was a stylus that was larger. It was designed to be in a man's hand, and it was designed to write something that's important. So the prophet Isaiah is saying what's going to follow here is extremely important. It's to be taken by somebody who's fully adult. In other words, this message is to the body of Christ in that sense or to the people at the time uh, in that day and time in that moment. A message that is going to be for those who are mature and it matters. It's a mature message and it matters. Concerning Mahar Shalal Hajbas. Now, don't try and say that three times fast. It's just a name, but that name is very, very important. And, and, and I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jebrekiah. And so I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Maharshalal Hazbas. For the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father, before he does. And my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. Hence the wall panel you're looking at. This is actually a wall panel of the Jewish people, specifically King Jehu, being taken captive by Tiglath-Pileser. This very thing that was spoken by Isaiah the prophet came to pass and we actually have a record of it we know what happened we know when it happened and so Isaiah's beginning to this prediction of the the Assyrian invasion and we're going to see it for quite some time you'll see glimpses of it uh, throughout the next 15 or so chapters and as long as the children of Israel made good choices, the hand of the Lord was for them. And when the children of Israel made bad choices, strangely enough, the hand of the Lord was actually against them. Now, we have a tough time in the age of grace understanding why the hand of the Lord would ever be against his children. But this gives you an understanding, really, of exactly how important, important obedience uh, can be in the life of children who claim to love God. God expects us to be obedient. That's why Jesus himself said, you are my disciples indeed if you keep my commandments. There is a direct correlation between the blessings of God and the hand of God being upon us and us doing what God has told us to do. Uh, and so don't fall into that trap to where you think because you're a child of God that you can live your life any old way you please. You can't and you shouldn't. You should live your life to be well-pleasing to God. That doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect and it doesn't mean that the Lord is going to spank you every single time you step even a little bit out of line. He's not a mean taskmaster, but he is a holy God. And he desires for his people to be as he is. And in fact, Isaiah 59, when we get there, has a little bit of insight uh, into this principle there in verse 2. And it says there, speaking again of the children of Israel, but your iniquities have separated you from God. 
and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. There is a direct correlation between God answering prayer and our sinfulness. When we're walking in rebellion, when we walk in disobedience, basically God's going, square away your attitude, we'll talk later. He's he's telling us, look, I can hear you because he's omniscient, he's omnipotent. He, He never in that sense can completely turn off his hearing because he knows everything. So he knows what you said, but he is not obligated to act on it. God acts on those things that we ask him by faith, believing, and also are in accordance to his will. So disobedience is never in accordance to the will of God. Walking directly away from what God has said, not in accordance to the will of God. And so when we go that way, God just says, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying in the sense that I'm going to act on it. I'm going to let you stew on this for a while. I'm going to let you have what you've asked for. In essence, the negative side of it. And so in this case, he he lays out the the next son's name. Now, remember the last son uh, is Shir Jashub is a remnant shall remain. This son has an even more unique name, and it means quick to plunder and swift to take spoil. Now, I don't know if you thought about naming your kids something like that, but probably not a great idea unless you want them to get in fights at school. Swift to plunder and quick to take spoil. You know, it's like, hi, this is my son, swift to plunder and quick to take spoil. Uh, but, but the names then meant something. The children of Israel were constantly concerning themselves with what God would want for their children and for themselves. And so in this sense, he's basically saying, look, there's going to come a time uh, that your choices are going to matter. And if you do not take to heed what I'm saying, then the Assyrians are going to overrun you and the Assyrians are going to take away your goods and you are going to go into captivity. And we're going to see that that exactly is what happened. The north, known as Ephraim. So when you look at Israel, Israel is a totality of all of the sons of Jacob. Uh, The north was Ephraim. The south was Judah. Just two names for those two places collectively known as Israel. And very often the ten northern tribes were also known as Israel. But the northern part uh, of of the Jewish state, if you will, as we would call it today... Uh, was where this prophecy was about to be fulfilled. Isaiah's sons were going to be significant, and if you remember that we already saw that they were for signs and wonders for Israel. And so this is speaking of something that would be yet future to them, because God never gives you uh, his, his desires after the fact. God is very good about letting us know ahead of time what he expects. And that was true here with the children of Israel. He was basically saying to them, look, I'm giving you an opportunity to change your mind. And as you change your mind, to change your directions. You change your direction to change your loyalties. You change your loyalty to change your heart so that your heart is inclined to me. And this is the way God continues to work with us, even in grace. I'm sure a a great deal of you have lived long enough in your walks with the Lord to know that when you get very far outside of God's will, he's pretty good about pushing you back the right direction, amen? But he does that very gently at first, doesn't he? You get little subtle warnings. It's like, nah, don't do that. Don't go there. There's little things that dart into your mind. 
And that's the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit going, look, this is not the direction I have for you. And so why don't you just think about it and turn around? You see, he wants to be able to simply speak to us and us do what he says. But if we won't listen to what he says, i.e. the Bible, it's the easiest way for us to understand it. If we won't be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving ourselves, then God ratchets it up a little bit. He, he, he brings to bear his resources, which are infinite, by the way. So, so God begins to change circumstance in your life to go along with what he's already said. And this is his consistent way he works with his children, whether in the Old Testament or the New. He never comes after you with guns ablazing initially. But we're going to find out God actually does have a guns ablazing setting that you can get there with God. And you do not want to get there with God, but you can get there with God to where he will take every measure necessary to square you away before he has to turn you over to the tortures, before he gets to that place to where you're in deep, deep, deep trouble with him. So he just ramps it up. It's kind of like the way you chastise your children. You know, you don't start out with, okay, well, you're going to lose your allowance for the next 800 years. No, you, you start by maybe taking away a little TV time or something. Maybe it's video games or, okay, no cell phone for the next eight minutes. <laughs> and they nearly lose their mind over that. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, no, please, not that. And they come running back and they say, I, I will change. That's what God does. He, he, he likes to take your cell phone away for like eight minutes first. Then he takes away your allowance for the next 800 years. The children of Israel were not going to learn this lesson. And in fact, Assyria was coming. The Assyrian Empire was massive. And in this particular map, I've condensed it down to just make it easy for you to see. But if you would just simply imagine that from there, which is the coast of the Mediterranean, all the way to what you know today is modern-day Iraq and Iran, all of the northern part of it was Assyria. So that would be most of Turkey all of Syria, all of Lebanon, all of Jordan, all of Iraq, most of Iran, a great part of Kurdistan and Uzbekistan was all Assyria. And so this is a massive area. When you travel to Israel, one of the things that, that strikes you initially is exactly how tiny it is. Israel itself, you can drive from one end of Israel from the north to the south in about four hours. You can drive from Lebanon to Egypt in four hours. And so here are the, the Jewish people sequestered in what we now know as Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And in the north, oddly, where the ten tribes are, is the lushest land. We, we think of seas as the Mediterranean Sea. So when we talk about the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is a lake. It's smaller than Lake Tahoe. 
It contains most of the fresh water for all of Israel, or did until they started building desalinization plants. Everything, if you wanted to, to live in this region, you didn't live down there in the south where Edom and Moab and Judah actually were. That's the Negev Desert. Everybody wanted to live in the north. So it's the north that's rebellious. Why? Because they can. They've got all the goodies. They got the water. They got the food. They have the neighbors that aren't hostile yet. But those neighbors are pagan. Those neighbors are absolutely not followers of God. So it was the best place to live. And God says, well, you may be living in the best place. You may have all the stuff, but that stuff is not going to keep me from dealing with you as my children. I love you too much for that. And so the Assyrian Empire is going to march in and take 10 of those tribes captive. So when you look at that map, all that will be left is Judah. And inside of there is Benjamin. And so the, the Jewish people in 732 B.C., about two years after Isaiah's son is born, uh, these rulers that are going to, to come described there uh, in Second Kings, uh, in chapter 15, Pekah and Rezin, whom we've already met, it says there in verse 27 of 2 Kings 15, in the 52nd year of Azariah, the king of Judah, Pekah the son of Remaliah, became king over Israel, and in Samaria he reigned 20 years. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. You see how God hates sin? Now, this is the whole country. This isn't one individual. This is God saying, look, this is not okay that your country follows after sin. And I think there's some lessons here for us as a nation. Sometimes we think because of God's grace that we're exempt from his chastisement. But if he would chastise his chosen people, Israel, I guarantee you we are not immune to the hand of the Lord. And so in the days of Pekah, the king of Israel, and again, this is the whole country, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Aijan, Abel-Beth-Machah, and Janoth, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee. That whole northern region was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. And so... We get a record in our Bibles that validates the things that Isaiah is talking about. And we know historically because we have the wall panels and the cuneiform writings that this is exactly what happened and exactly at this time. All the land of Naphtali. And he carried them captive to Assyria. So here goes the conquest of the ten northern tribes. And then Hosea, the son of Elah, led the conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and struck and killed him so that he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the king of Uzziah. Remember, this starts in the year that King Uzziah died. 
And now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, indeed, they're written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Uh, and so under Tiglath-Pileser, this quick to the plunder and swift to take spoil actually happened. Everything was gone. Nothing was left. The Assyrians killed off all the males, intermarried with the Jewish females, and created what we call the Samaritans. And so half Jewish, half Assyrian. This would be a plague on the children of Israel for the rest of their days. So be careful about the choices you make because they can be a plague on you for the rest of your days. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It does not even mean that God didn't forgive you. But you can create by your actions situations that will rest on you for the rest of your days. God takes seriously the sin of his people. And sometimes he allows things to occur that is not what he wants, but in his permissive will allows us to make really, really horrible bad choices. We'll see three of them. Bad choice number one, they chose a flood. And remember that we talked about the flood of humanity, the sea of humanity. And in this case, it's very clear which one of those it is. They chose a flood instead of a peaceful river. God wanted a peaceful river for them. God wanted them. Again, in that map that I previously showed you, remind yourself, you can download these on your cell phone so you can look at it later. In that map, when you look at the river Jordan, the word Jordan means out of Dan. Jor, out of Dan, the tribe of Dan. So in the very north, you have the tribe of Dan. You have the fortified city of Dan. Dan was the, the headquarters, if you will, of the northern tribes of Ephraim. It also became the seat of pagan wickedness. And when you travel there with us, we actually go to this gigantic altar place that's on the top of a hill overlooking the Jordan itself, the river. And so you have the river that comes from the gates of hell, uh, which is the, the Dan River that flows into the headwaters of the Jordan and is there that the city of Dan was located. And so here these people in tremendous richness, because if you had water, if you had the ability to travel and you could plant crops in those days and time, you were good. It was an agrarian society. They were then able to raise sheep, goats, cattle. God gave them everything. That, that was somebody being wealthy during that day and time. God had planted them. One of the amazing things about the Jordan River is in two locations, it literally pops up out of the ground. At the springs of Dan, there is no river. There's a wall of rock. And then the river Dan pops up and in 100 feet is a full-flowing river. The same is true for the Jordan portion of it. It comes from seven springs, which is the meaning of the word Beersheba. And so here these, just, it just pops out. And where, where are they located? They're located right where all this goodness pops out of the ground. There it is. And what do they choose to do with all this goodness? 
they make really bad choices. Instead of a peaceful river, verse 5, And the Lord spoke to me again, saying, Inasmuch as these people refuse the waters of Siloah. That is a variation of the Hebrew word Shiloh. Shalom, peace. That make for peace, that's what the word actually means. The waters that make for peace, that flow softly. God wanted to give them a soft existence in peace. But they refused that. And rejoice in Rezin and in Remaliah's son. Now, these guys were political operatives. One of the reasons that I'm so adverse to the church being conscripted by any political party, that is, does not mean that we should not hold biblical views, by the way, but being conscripted by a political party is political parties have their own agenda. And on one hand, they may be for the Lord. On another hand, they may be against the Lord. We are believers first. We're not a political party first. In this case, they got in trouble because they became a political party instead of a theocracy, which means they were no longer governed by God, but they were governed by their covenants that they made with godless nations. They were governed by politics. So instead of being believers and making that the top... They became political, made that the top, and put God someplace underneath. This is always a bad idea. It is a really bad choice to do that. Because the moment you totally consign yourself to some political party or agenda, and it does not matter which one you choose, eventually you're going to bump into something that, guess what, is not of the Lord. And so if your whole life is that political agenda, then what happens is you have to try and explain away why you're not going to walk with the Lord. Because it doesn't fit the political agenda. I want to always walk with the Lord, and then my politics follow my walk with the Lord. That's what was true before this happened. And so what happens is now they mix that up. And they put their political allegiances and alliances first. And then, someplace down the line, their relationship with the Lord. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord brings them up, the, up over them, the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria. So the reference is, who's the waters? The king of Assyria in all of his glory. And he will go up over all his channels. That's the king of Assyria. In other words, he's going to become even more powerful got to go up over the banks he'll pass through judah he'll overflow and pass over he'll reach up to the neck stretching out his wings and will fill the breath of your land O emmanuel the land where god will dwell with his people will be overtaken by the king of assyria it's very clear what's being said Be shattered, O you peoples. This is the response that God always wants when he tells us about who he is and what he wants, how he would like us to live our lives. We're supposed to be shattered by any deviation from it. When we hear those words shattered, we're supposed to respond by saying, Oh, Lord, woe is me. I am undone. And sometimes we're not. We just kind of go about our way. It's like, well, things are good. We get stuck, in essence, 
trying to follow after the world and then bring God into it at some point in time. The children of Israel are about to go into captivity, and in fact, the Assyrian army is going to end up at the gates of Jerusalem. That's why it mentions Judah. And we'll see when we get to chapter 37 exactly the measure that God has to go to to preserve even the city of Jerusalem where, Jerem, where, excuse me, where Isaiah is writing from. Be shattered, O peoples, be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves and be broken in pieces. Gird yourself, but be broken in pieces. He's saying, look, you should be broken by your behavior. You should actually be concerned that you're not right with me. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. And now he's kind of mocking them. Isaiah's basically saying to them, go ahead, make your political treaties, make your allegiances, make your alliances. Go ahead and follow after your political party. Take that agenda on, run with it as far as you want to go. But you're not right with me. And this works no matter what way you're trying to point this arrow. When I don't put God first, then I can run almost any direction because you can always find a group that's going that way. Amen? That doesn't matter which way. I, I'm sitting here looking at some of the things going on in our country, and I'm going, you know what? We deserve some of the things that we have right now because we have not stopped long enough to go, you know what? This is just wrong. We should be going the other way. That's what God's saying. He's saying, look, you should be shattered. You should be broken. When you consider what's going on, it should rock your world a little bit. The Jewish people were not rocked. They're going, ah, it's going to work out fine. It's going to be just great. We're going to make an allegiance, and Tiglath-Pileser's going to take care of us, and it's all going to be good. Go ahead and counsel together, but it'll come to nothing. Speak a word that will not stand. For God is with us. You guys up there in the north, you go ahead and do whatever you want. But because you're not with the Lord, he's not with you. He's with those who fear him. And, and so Isaiah didn't see a, a permanent victory from this invading army. He, he, he was like, okay, you're going to get out of it initially. And brothers and sisters, this is how the enemy always works in your life. You start going the enemy's direction, and the enemy is going to be able to provide for you some minor victories that will tell you, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to tell you that that hatred or that bitterness or that anger that you have towards that person is actually warranted, and you should hang on to it. But he's not going to tell you what's going to happen five years later as your life comes unhinged because of the, the weight that that has, that, that has borne down on your life and has now altered the very way you think about everyone. He's not going to tell you those things. He's going to tell you, it's okay. You just hang on to that stuff. You have the right to be that way. Take that anger and run with it. And then all of a sudden you wake up and go, man, this isn't working out the way I thought it would. Now that I think about it, I actually hate everybody. I have a bad attitude every day. And it's not just towards the people that wronged me. Uh, it has sunk into my soul. 
See, the devil doesn't tell you that. He says, well, right now, you've got the upper hand. So be careful. They fell prey to this. We're going to see in chapter 37 that God's going to deal with Assyria miraculously, and that is the only way they're going to be defeated. It had nothing to do with the political allegiance and alliances. It had nothing to do with Israel's military might. It didn't have anything to do with politics. God was going to have to come out of nowhere and defeat them himself. Bad choice number two, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Brothers and sisters, the way of the world is a snare, and many there are who go that way. The, the danger of trying to please everyone and follow with the crowd is immense. I can't tell you how many lives I've watched unravel and, and tried to counsel with as a, well, you know, I was just doing what everybody else was doing. It was popular in the moment. It seemed like the right thing to do. Everybody told me I should do it. If God tells you what to do, that's what you need to do. If it's debatable in any way, shape, or form, you might want to think on it for a while. Following the world has deadly consequences. I'd rather stand alone with the Lord than follow everybody on this planet to their doom. That's what he's saying. He said, don't walk in the way of this people. Now, what he's really saying is, is the, the main body of the people's going this way. Don't go that way. Can I tell you that's hard? You're going to get mocked. You'll be ridiculed. You'll be called one of those people. And he says, don't say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. You see, people will start to say, you're the weirdo. You know, if you just let go of this Jesus thing, stop talking about the Bible. I mean, come on. Who's this Lord anyway? And that's the problem. You see, people want Jesus as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord. They don't want him to master. And the Jewish people did not want God to actually rule over them. They just wanted God's protection. They wanted God's provision. They wanted God, in essence, to be a genie in the bottle that they could call any time they want for whatever reason they deemed necessary, and that God would respond to them and just give them everything that they asked for. In other words, the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine has been around a while. Gimme, 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 gimme. Look, I went to church last week. You owe me. And God's saying, no, I actually want your soul. I, I want your life. I actually want you to worship me. You were created for that purpose. Right, so don't fall into the people's conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Isaiah's making it really clear. Look, people are going to accuse you of being some religious nutbag. You mean you really read your Bible? 
It is amazing to me how many people, actually, that's like, that's a question. <laughs> well, duh. I try and live my life by it. Of course I read it. But for a lot of Christians, it's like, well, you, you look at their Bible, it, and they carry it in the box that it was originally purchased in. <laughs> and they go to open it up, and it's like... And the pages snap. Because they've never been read. They have no idea what's in there. He's saying, look, if you want to know what God wants you to do, read what God has said he wants you to do. How he wants you to live. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Hallowed be his name, amen? That, that means to give honor due. Let him be your fear. You, who were they afraid of? They were afraid of Assyria. They were afraid of Tiglath-Pileser. They were afraid of their neighbors. They were afraid they'd be made fun of. They were afraid they would be mocked. Let him be your dread. Let him be the one that you're like, man, I don't want to be displeasing to God. Can you imagine if all of us lived our lives that way? And, and I believe many, if not most of you, really try to do that. But we should endeavor to live our lives so that I don't fear anyone except God. What can man do to you? What's the worst thing that mankind can do to you? They can take your life. And then only if God says it's okay, because he is still sovereign Lord, amen, and he's appointed unto man one time to die and then judgment, so you're not even going to leave this earth before God says so. And instead we walk around going, well, you know, Uncle Bob said. You know, it's like, he's going to call me a name. They're going to call me a Jesus freak. <laughs> it's a, we're, we're literally concerned about it. Fear the Lord is the word here. Why? He will be as a sanctuary. He'll be your high place. But a stone of stumbling and a rock and a fence to both houses of Israel. He's saying, look, you can have him as the chief cornerstone or you can have him as someone you stumble over. And a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and they shall fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. And so this is really easy to see. The humanistic approach of the Jewish people and the humanistic approach of people today, pretty much the same. Is it popular? And is it safe? That's the two chief concerns. Is it popular and is it safe? Will this, will this cause any ripples in my life? The life of a believer is a life of holy risk-taking family of God. It, it is. It's not safe. There's nothing safe about being a Christian. There was nothing safe about being one of God's people during the time of Tiglath-Pileser and the Assyrian conquest. If you stood for God, you stood out. If you were one of God's kids, you were different than the world. That's truth. It's always truth. It's always going to be true. Truth, by its very definition, can't be true one day and false the next. Amen? 
And so he's, he's really just using logic here. He's saying, look, the choice is yours. You can either do the humanistic thing and follow the political leaders and ask yourself, is it popular or is it safe? Or you can do the godly thing. The thing that the prophet Isaiah was saying, is it righteous? And that word righteous means, is it right with God? When you see, it doesn't mean right. Be very, very careful. Sometimes right and righteous are exactly the same. But sometimes right is what people think, and righteous is only what God thinks. We want to do what God thinks, what God wants. And secondarily, is this the will of God? Is it right before God, and is this his perfect will for me personally? Because there are things that the Bible says for the children of Israel that's not been commanded for us to do. I'll give you an example of that. Keep the Sabbath. It's righteous to keep the Sabbath, but it has never been commanded for the children that are not Jewish to do that. That's why Paul said, I treat every day the same. So is it God's will? God's will for us, Paul said, is to worship the Lord on every day. Amen? So is it righteous, and is it God's will for me? Is this what God wants for me? Not is it safe, not is it popular, not is there some great book that was written on it. We were sitting last night kind of having dinner, and we're overhearing this conversation, and one after another, this, this group of three people discussed about every single heretic that I could think of that claims to be a Christian. It was mind-boggling. Their whole life, they, they were talking about their walks supposedly with the Lord, and at the same time evoking these guys that are absolutely, in my view, not believers. But they're very popular. They've made a lot of money selling books. But followers of Jesus, not on your life. And the reason I know that is they teach things that are contrary to God's word. Like there is no hell. If you don't believe there's a hell, then you have a problem with Jesus. Amen? Jesus taught on hell. If you don't believe that there is eternal damnation, you have a problem with Jesus. And these three people are going, yeah, it's so nice to know there's no hell. And I'm like, oh my. Be careful. It's really popular. It's called universalism. In the end, God just sends everybody to heaven. Then why did he say narrow is the way that leads into life and few there are that find it? Why did he say, I am the door of the sheep? And they who enter, enter only through me. Why did he say, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father? Why didn't Jesus say, and everyone is going to go to heaven? Why? Because not everyone's going to go to heaven. So it's really popular to hold that view. Well, you know, God's just going to send everybody to heaven. Really? It's not what the Bible says. Peter, as he wrote to the church in 1 Peter chapter 3, said this in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, 
but in your heart set yourself apart as Christ is your Lord. Isaiah is basically saying, look, you can have a rock, you can have a sanctuary, or you can have a snare. The choice is yours. You can go the world's way, or you can go God's way. The choice is yours. You can have God who is the refuge and strength, the Psalm 46 God, and our very pleasant help and present help and perfect help in our time of trouble, or you can have the world's way, which the world will tell you it's helping. But then you're going to find out, no, the world's actually not helping. And the world doesn't care about you. Anybody that thinks that this world cares about you, you need to come see me. Because this world does not care about you. Now it purports to, as long as it can get something out of you. But as soon as you get old and you can no longer pay taxes, you know, that's really too bad. As soon as you get to that place where you're drained on society, you know, we are radically moving towards, towards euthanasia in our country. This is crazy. This is mind-boggling. God who created life no longer has a say in the matter. We're going to tell God, you know, they're not worth much. You know, after all, I mean, you got to feed them. And... By the way, that's exactly what Hitler said. We got to feed them. They're taking up space. A third bad choice. They chose darkness instead of light. This one's really easy. Bind up the testimony and seal the law among the, my disciples. For I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob is another way of saying all Israel. Amen. The house of Jacob is all the sons. And I will hope in him. Here I am and the children whom the Lord has given me. For we are signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. At that time, the, there were two temples. There was one in the north and one in the south. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums. Check this out. Yeah, go have your horoscope. Go get, you know, have somebody read your palm or something. Go seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter. You ever notice how you can't get a straight answer out of one of these people? It's like, well, you know, your lifeline's a little short. <laughs> yeah, and so are your brain cells. <laughs> Should not a people seek their God? It's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? It's like you, you go looking for your horoscope in the newspaper. You go try and talk to Madam Chloe or the Long Island medium, one of my favorites. You, you, you go ask somebody to, you know, well, can you get me a spirit guide? Most of those guys were guided by spirits, but it comes in a bottle. that they should seek the dead on behalf of the living. It's like, really? You know, try and conjure up your dead ancestors? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And likewise, to be absent from the body as an unbeliever is to await judgment. There are no disembodied spirits of people wandering around anywhere, period. That's what the Bible plainly says. 
So you don't have any relatives wandering around the earth going, well, I've come to help you. If you're a Christian, hear this well. Your ancestors are not helping guide you. They're not here. If they're believers, they're in heaven. If they didn't know the Lord, they are awaiting judgment in Sheol. Those are the only two places that anybody exists right now who were once living and are now dead. For those who are dead in Christ, they're alive, very much alive in heaven. For those who are dead without Christ, they're very much alive waiting judgment. But the children of Israel are going, ah, we're going to conjure up our relatives. Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. He's saying, we already have God's word on this. Are you nuts? If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. The children of Israel had been forbidden from doing these things. They were told, don't do it. That's how the enemy, the only one you're going to conjure up is a demon. The only one who's going to speak to you is going to be somebody you don't want to talk. You don't want to take the phone call. It's like, I'm not here. Click. There's no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. You're going to go do these things, and it's going to get worse for you. And it shall happen. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and curse their king and their God. And look upwards like, God, what did you do? And God's going, it wasn't me. And then they'll look to the earth and see trouble and darkness and gloom and anguish, and they'll be driven into darkness. I want you to check this out. Isaiah and his family are standing there. It's like, look, we know better than this. We've already been told what will happen if we do these things. Deuteronomy 18 says this. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls upon the dead. For all those who do such things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these things, nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such things for you. God couldn't have been any more clear to the children of Israel. Don't do what people in the world do with this regard. Don't be wandering around going, well, you know, I just got to go find out what my lucky numbers are. I have sat and talked to people and gone, what in the world are you doing? Are you trying to get God to give you a whooping? You know, is it like, do you want God to spank you? It's like he's told you don't do these things. And yet, it is amazing to me 
We have this pathetic dysfunction in our country. I am shocked and dismayed at the same time over the number of people that fill their heads with demonic movies. I can't believe we actually have a television show whose basic premise is Lucifer. And people, well, you know, it's harmless. Baloney. That's a Hebrew word. It means stupid. (laughs) Crazy. You're filling your mind with footholds of the enemy so the enemy in your sleep can go, you remember this? People want to, I had a I had a Christian couple. Well, we're going to a sweat lodge on a Navajo uh, reservation, and um, we're gonna we're gonna burn some incense and try and cleanse ourselves. No, you're gonna open your mind to demonic oppression. That's what you're gonna do. You're not supposed to do that as a child of God. It's not fun. It's not harmless. It's demonic. Be careful, because the enemy's going to, oh, it's amazing how many people don't know the roots of yoga. Yoga is worship in Hinduism. Now, I'm not saying you can't do some poses. If you can do those poses, God bless you. I do not have enough cartilage left in my body to do most of them, okay? It's like, I can do the sleeping dog, but not the pointing one thing. But people will tell me, oh, it's totally harmless. No, it's not totally harmless. Be very, very careful. You can do the stretching without all the stretching of your mind in spiritual ways. Be careful. Because the enemy's going, oh, it's just harmless. Maybe not. Isaiah said they have no light in them. Can't believe how many people just get sucked into this stuff. Don't do it. Don't go there. Just say no. Amen? Not just the drugs, but to some things that are actually the foothold. You know, it's interesting because when we use the, the Greek word uh, pharmakia, it actually includes drugs, but it's also spiritism and mysticism. Those two things are linked together. So be careful. The children of Israel ended up in drastic situations because of this very thing. But there is a real choice. He will be as a sanctuary to you and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to both houses of Israel, and as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem. He's basically saying, look, do you want good or do you want bad? Do you want Christ to be your king or do you want him to have to crush you? Because he's both. He's the stumbling stone for those that don't believe in him. Do you fear God and do you love God? Do you, do you want to know God? Or are you so spiritually debased that you're going to actually reject God and follow after the world? Do you want the rock who crushes, or do you want the rock on which you can stand? The choice is yours. Because the same Jesus is both rocks. He can either be your cornerstone on which you build your life, or he can be the rock that crushes you ultimately, the one who will actually have to judge you. 
And so as you, as you think on this passage, it says in verse, if you do not regard him as holy, if he isn't Lord, if he isn't the one on whom you're basing your eternity, if you put your faith in Assyria, then Messiah is going to crush you. What happened to the Jewish people? They failed to see Messiah. They, they didn't see the coming one. They, they missed him. They didn't regard him as holy. They, they thought he was some, you know, goofy guy from Galilee. They, they wanted a king who was going to deal with the Romans and take care of every problem they had and put them back on the top of the totem pole. And Jesus said, no, I haven't come to be a king like that. I've come to be a king that's going to die for you. Well, we don't want a dying king. We're going to see that dying king as we journey through this amazing book. But in both life and eternity, in both life and eternity, your choices matter. I've watched families go through horrific things because of what the parents have brought into their home. And again, this is not chastisement for anyone. It is to make you aware your choices matter. When you allow that garbage to be pumped in on your television and your children are sitting there watching it, when you do not put filter on the filters on their devices, their iPads, their smartphones, and everything else you can get that stuff on, then you are opening a doorway for the enemy. Be very careful because the devil would love to school your kids. He'd love to just pump it right into their brain. Our minds are amazing chemical computers, but they are flesh, and they're subject to breakage and damage. So don't let the enemy break your mind or your children's minds. The real choice was to stand on the rock. That's why Peter, when, when he makes this incredibly bold statement in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, therefore, recounting this passage of Scripture, I behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. And therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. He's both. And we want the Lord to be able to work in our lives in a powerful, wonderful way. That means we need to commit our choices to him. The, the rock of offense is also the cornerstone. And so you have your choice. We don't want to stumble our children. We don't want to stumble our spouses. We don't want to stumble our families. We don't want to stumble in this world because the world's watching us. We, we want to be a rock like he's a rock. Amen? Jesus actually quotes this passage. As Jesus is speaking to the Vine Growers Association, so that everyone who falls in that stone will be broken to pieces, but whomever on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. 
Yeah, when you fall on the rock, you're going to get broken. You're going to go, woe is me, I'm undone. But that's way better than having the rock fall on you, because that's going to turn you into dust. You see, the truth is, as Paul rightly said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the word of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to we who are being saved, it's the power of God that leads unto salvation. That's why Acts chapter 4, there's salvation found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And in this case, the Jewish people had all the information, but they missed the message. Isn't that crazy? They had all the information, but missed the message. Let's make sure we get the message. Because the world needs the message. We need to share that message with the world. And the only way we can do that is by making really good choices. So that the Lord can say, look, follow them. They're going the right way. They're doing the right thing. They have the right concerns. They have the right cares. I don't ever want to get a spiritual attitude problem. I don't know if you guys are prone to attitude problems. I'm prone to attitude problems. I'm, just, I, I'm kind of passionate when I get something. I know you can't tell that, but I'm kind of passionate when I get a hold of something. It's like, I just like, I got to see it to the end. That's just the way God's made me. Oh, that we would be so passionate about our walk with the Lord that people would go, that's a Jesus freak. That person is a nut for Jesus. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Nothing better can be said about us than we are crazy out of our minds for Jesus. Amen? Amen. We just stand and we'll close in prayer. A couple of the pastors are going to come up and be available for prayer. Maybe you haven't met him yet. He came with a friend. You don't know Jesus. You don't want to leave here without him being your, your rock on whom you can stand. Don't let him be the rock that will crush. Submit yourself to him. Come and be prayed for and receive that gift of grace. Father, thank you that you allow us to rethink our choices. And Lord, we, we would just pray. Maybe there's some tonight that maybe they came in thinking some things they shouldn't think, entertaining some things they shouldn't entertain potentially going somewhere they shouldn't go and pray that, Lord, our, our lives would be transformed by the hearing of your word. Lord, that simply at your word, uh, we, would, we would bow our knee and, and change the direction that we're going, Lord, to the direction that you want for us. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your mercy, which is new every morning. And we pray, God, that as we live our lives on this earth, Lord, we have a little bit of time left. And so we pray that you would make us busy about our Father's business, ready for what lies ahead. Lord, help us to never follow the, the world, but always follow the King. And bless us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.